Welcome to Game of Books with Kathy in South Dakota. That's me. And Christy in South Florida. That's me. We're two newbie writers sharing our take on wine, food, and mystery books. And the authors who write them. Join us for the fun. Welcome to the Game of Books podcast, Corks and Conversation. We are here at SleuthFest 2019, the premier mystery writers conference in South Florida, and so excited to talk to some of the great authors holding workshops here for both new and seasoned mystery writers. And we are so pleased, particularly to be sitting here with Tom Straw, a faculty author here at SleuthFest. All right, here comes the bio. Okay. I got it. I got oh, we might not. We might have to shorten it because we might be here all day. If we go his <laughs> that's what I was thinking. Yeah, I padded it anyway. So. <laughs> awesome. That's great. Uh, Tom is a very accomplished writer. We are um, pleased to be talking to tonight. He is an Emmy award-winning writer, producer, and director on just some of the most famous sitcoms in recent memory. That's all. Uh, Night Court, Cosby, Grace Under Fire, Whoopi, The Late Late Show with Craig Ferguson. Uh, the recent Nurse Jackie on HBO featuring the great Edie Falco. Um, and, of course, he is the author of the blockbuster crime novels written under the pseudonym Richard Castle, uh, writing the Nikki Heat books that so nicely intertwined with the Castle TV series. Under Tom's own name, he's written the Trigger episode mm-hmm. and, more recently, Buzzkiller, to say his writing expertise uh, overflows is an understatement. Thank you for being here. We're so happy to have you here. Nice to be here. I wrote that under my own name because Stephen King was taken. <laughs> uh, Richard Castle worked out so well, I thought about it. But I will. Thanks for having me. That's a good idea. That is actually good. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So before we start getting into the conversation, let me tell everybody about a little a little bit about the wine we're drinking today. So Tom, you said you liked white wine. Yes. So tonight we have Voga Italia Pinot Grigio. Hey, wait, we're supposed mm. to cheer. You guys so drink too sorry, sorry, I was oh. too excited. Was For so those excited. of you Cheers. out there, they, they started drinking before I could cheer them. That's okay. Okay, that's all right. <laughs> I've decided it's okay. So um, some tasting notes. It's rich, opulent, and elegant with full flavors and aromas of ripe apple and pear. An example of what true Italian Pinot Grigio can and should be. Mm. And it has a really cool bottle. That's the most important thing, yes, really. It is a very cool <laughs> bottle, and it has a cool bottle description on their website. An elevated and subtly sexy Pinot Grigio experience oh. from a brand that reflects the personal <laughs> image, evolving lifestyle, and the style of the millennial consumer, which when, is what we are. <laughs> when I hear Pinot <laughs> and, and sensual, or what, however they describe it, I'll let you fill in your own blanks. I was blanks. thinking maybe yeah. about yesterday's uh, lunch topics that we were... Oh, yes, yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yes. Okay. We should awesome. probably tell the audience what that means. Oh, yeah, probably. We were having our luncheon yesterday, and there was a keynote speaker who was excellent, by the way. Oh, I mean, uh, I was, uh, it was, she was she funny. Was, right. She had a great dry... Right, but dry she happen. mentioned uh, fecal transplants while we were still chewing. <laughs> she did. And, you know, it just isn't done. No, know, no, so we're all just uh, like deer in the headlights. I think going, we raised um, our glasses then and said, okay, cheers, let's yeah. go. Let's Eat this. up, everybody. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Okay, so I'm glad they think the bottle is sexy. It is a cool bottle. Yep. Mm-hmm. All right, so let's get started. So I am curious how the actual um, experience from writing for TV sitcoms, mm-hmm. and you had great, obviously great, great success. How did you move from that into 
um, writing the Richard Castle books. Okay. Oh, first, I should say that I I still do write television. So, okay. so in other words, I run on a couple of tracks here. Okay. Um, so uh, there was a transition into uh, novels, which was always my dream. Decades of writing sitcoms, I always wanted to write a book. And so I uh, finally uh, had an interval and enough money to stop working for a while, and I wrote my first novel, which was The Trigger Episode, which had a character in it that wasn't too far uh, you know, from the, the Castle character and a relationship not too far from the Beckett relationship. Uh, that was uh, printed, uh, published by a, you know, when you're writing your first book, it's not the biggest house. It was Carolyn Graff. And um, with my luck, uh, shortly after the publication of my book, they were bought by a company that only wanted their nonfiction catalog. Oh. So no. the math on that is no real support, right. no futures, no sequels and whatnot. So I was bummed by that. But the, uh, uh, my editor and the publisher, uh, Will Balliet, from Carolyn Graff had gone to Hyperion, which was an ABC-owned uh, publishing entity. And he took me to lunch one day and he said, there's a show coming on called Castle. Uh, and I said, yeah, I saw the pilot. And I, and I think that by that time they had aired two episodes and I enjoyed the show very much. And he said, well, they want to do a gimmick. Um, and you know, your writing is kind of like they have in the show. Would you consider doing a one-off, just kind of a gimmick book uh, as if you were Richard Castle, since he, as you know, or I assume the audience knows, played a writer in the show. Yeah. So I said, sure. And so... Oh, I got uh, goosebumps. That's pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so, so my sort of like crashing defeat ended up becoming yeah. kind of a lucky uh, strike. And um, the book came out, uh, and it was supposed to go straight to paperback. They actually did a hardback. And it went to number six on the New York Times. So... Um, Good for you. I should have changed my name sooner. <laughs> yeah, I was know? just going to say. That's, so um, that led to a contract for two more. The, the, third, the second one went to number four. The third one debuted at number one. Um, and the rest is profit. Yeah. Uh, history, I mean. <laughs> I'm glad for both. Yeah. I know. I, I love those books. I love the mixture of humor, which, of course, we had the privilege of hearing you talk about that today mm -hmm. at Sleuth Fest. Um, but that, it's so fun. I mean, it's just a fun series. It was. Uh, you know, I have to say, it helped a lot that I enjoyed the show. Mm -hmm. um, and I also had uh, uh, good editing at Hyperion, at, but particularly had a really good relationship with the creator and executive producer of the TV series. Having had been a, uh, an executive producer and showrunner myself, he and I spoke the same language. Yeah, mm -hmm. There was very little uh, miscommunication between us. Note sessions were so uh, easy and, and, you know, there wasn't any, well, wait a minute, that's my book, you can't, you know, we, <laughs> right, yeah. I, I actually tended to anticipate things that he needed and, and he in turn knew what not to dwell on because he knew I would fix things. He'd just give me a, a very easy note and, of course, it would mean I would have to interpret that, yeah. <laughs> but, but he didn't browbeat me. It was a very, very good, happy relationship. We're still friends, in fact. Oh, good. Talk about the right person for the right job. I right. mean, it sounds yeah. like it just was... It was magical. It was, yeah. it was, really, uh, it was really fun. And I, I, for me, and I still feel this way, the honor and the thrill of writing books, but also writing books... I mean, it's nice to see the number one and the number three mm -hmm. and all that other stuff on the New York Times, but... Um, it's really the thrill of being read. It's not just the numerical thing. It's like, mm -hmm. I'm going to write something and people are actually going to see this. Right. Which creates a certain amount of pressure to deliver, too. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So what was it like writing under a pseudonym that was that 
well known. I mean, did any did people know it was Tom Straw writing no, Frederick Castle? No, or was that hidden? In, in fact, my wife and I were having lunch uh, in Boston one day on Newbury Street uh, about a week or week and a half after uh, the first Castle book came out, Heat Wave. And there was a lot of what they wanted was they wanted the who wrote this uh, around they, they wanted that aura around oh, okay. the book. So it's like like was it was it Nathan yeah. Fillion who wrote it? Okay. Uh, was it the people who were in the poker game on the show? Was it James Patterson? Oh, right. Or was it Dennis yeah. Lehane? Oh, or was yes. it you know yeah, all these people? I read some articles about that, like actual serious articles. Right. This so there was a whole big thing <laughs> that they used for marketing about who wrote the book? Question mark. So my wife and I are having lunch in Boston about a week after the book comes out. And there is a couple at the table behind us, and the husband was saying, we couldn't help but hear them. The husband is saying, well, you see, he doesn't really write the books. He's an actor in the show. Oh, but it, and so oh it, that's so cool. And it was, I mean, what are the chances? <laughs> I know. And it was like one of those, it was, and again, one of those magical things like, yeah. hey, we may be onto something. This is literally working. I mean, oh, it, wow. I don't know if you remember the Woody Allen film where uh, Marshall McLuhan gets pulled out uh, mm -hmm. from nowhere to comment. I thought of spinning in the chair and saying, <laughs> perhaps I can enlighten you on this. Subject, oh so. man, that's so tempting. I would have been tempted too. But I didn't mind actually. Um, I, I I didn't mind operating under the uh, under the ghostwriter thing because um, it it did create excitement. I did love the sort of shield of anonymity I had to go ahead and write what I wanted to write, um, and also knowing that there was a, a kind of a, pub a publicity engine fueling that with with the not knowing who it really is people figured it out after a while uh, they had me on as a uh, as a guest on castle on one episode because and what was your role what were you doing it was a minor role i was i, I i'm trying know, to think back because i watched <laughs> I did too. it was uh, season two episode five it was the book launch party for heatwave <laughs> well, awesome. and so they what they wanted to do is they wanted to say whoever wrote the book uh, what they had been saying is whoever wrote the book has appeared on Castle. Oh. So, you know, because there had been a lot of famous yeah. mystery authors on Castle. Tom Straw, not one of them. <laughs> uh, so they had me on at the book launch party in a very short scene with Nathan shaking his hand, laughing at one of his jokes and all oh, that. But it, it was kind of fun to do. That is was fun. that your first cameo on any of the television shows you'd worked on? Uh, no, no, I'd done. I'd been on numerous times on various shows, uh, especially because I was doing Craig Ferguson show at the time. I was writing oh. the Castle books, um, which is a whole other story of you how you do that. You both at the same time. Do you want to hear my day? Yeah, yeah, okay. I do. I very much. Uh, <laughs> so when you're working on a show like a late night show like that, I, I yes, Craig did have writers for his monologue. People didn't think he did, but he did. So we would meet in a conference room at 10 in the morning. We would pitch around what's going on in the news, what's our topic for tonight. We would write the monologue. We would write sketches, uh, shoot the show at 5 o'clock. We're done at 6 o'clock, which is when I would leave the studio, have dinner, uh, drive to my sad little apartment because I was still living on the East Coast, oh. uh, have dinner, uh, call my wife, say I don't have time to talk, hang up, and then starting around 8.30, I would write until two in the morning as Richard Castle. Oh my gosh! And then I would go to bed, get up at six as Tom Straw, as Tom Straw, <laughs> and start hopping on the internet to see what was going on, so I could be prepared for the monologue meeting with pitches. Oh my gosh! So it was I, I couldn't live that way uh, as a life, but I could for a mission. And so how long I, did you do that? Uh, well, I did that for three years. Oh wow! Uh, yeah. 
What did you do all weekend? Just sleep? I No, I would write more. That, oh, I love the weekends because that could be all castle. Oh, my gosh. You know. And then you must have flown back and forth to try right. to keep semblance of a life. Right. But then again, an airplane is a desk, right? Yes, Isn't it, it is. So it's five hours of nobody's going to bother me. Right. Well, uh, that sounds so glamorous. Yeah. It's what people imagine about TV and best-selling books. It, 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 does, it didn't hurt. She's being sarcastic. I yes, know. I am. That <laughs> sounds horrible. It, it didn't hurt that I loved the show. And uh, I was also, as I am today, grooving on being a writer. Yeah, you know what no, I mean? It's yeah. like, hey, I'm, people are paying me to do this. Yeah. So. Yep. That, that reminds me of a, another guest we've had earlier, T. Jefferson Parker, talking about the fun. Yeah. yeah. Finding the fun. He gave a, uh, a great luncheon speech. I heard you mention it mm -hmm. uh, here at the Sleuthfest uh, 2019. <laughs> and uh, it was inspiring because, you know, one of the things that he was kind enough to do, which the really, I think, fine authors do is that they recognize that there is a certain amount of fortune mm -hmm. and that there's a lot of uh, keeping yourself buoyant mm -hmm. in, in a very difficult business mm -hmm. and to make sure not only that you stay afloat but that you have some fun doing backstrokes doing it you know right. well I just love that all those little analogies you just did uh, I know <laughs> okay so before yeah, we move on to another section I do want to ask about pseudonyms for people who are not writing under the circumstances you did. Okay. Do you have tips for writers who are considering pseudonyms, you know, in this age of branding? I mean, what do you, what do you think about that? Um, you know, I think it really depends on your situation. Um, you know, the, uh, I, I guess, I, I wouldn't encourage anyone to do anything they didn't feel right doing. I mean, if you're going to, if you, if you feel that um, writing uh, as a ghostwriter is going to give you an entree uh, into the industry that maybe you haven't had, mm -hmm. I think that's probably a good thing. Mm -hmm. I would say, but if your goal is to be known as yourself, uh, make sure that you're not going to hate yourself for doing it later, like because you've got the golden handcuffs on. Mm -hmm. But I also would say that there's dignity in being a ghostwriter. I mean, there are, uh, I can't name them because they're ghostwriters, but, <laughs> but, but, the, right? And you know who they are. Oh, and they know who they are. <laughs> yeah, that's the important thing. But there are people who make a fortune. Uh, writing uh, and they're not known right. and uh, now if if your if money isn't your goal that's not going to satisfy you um, but on the other hand if you can spend a portion of your year writing uh, for as someone else mm -hmm. and then be free six months of the year to write as yourself you're looking at that as funding what right. you really want to do it's and like, then build your way like a day it's job like a day right job. it's yeah. it's, a, it's not a bad day job either no right that sounds right Okay, so it's time for the carafe question. Oh. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> so we ask a random fun question. If you don't care for it, we'll pass and move on to another one. Okay. How about that? I've never been known to turn down a question. Awesome. Okay. Or that's, a carafe. That's So, yeah, so this go. is a winning combination. <laughs> oh, this is awesome. What is your best excuse when you're pulled over for speeding? What's your problem? <laughs> That's it. Yeah. Just... Actually, I was. I, I. I. I can tell you, my. I was driving back from Vermont two years ago, and I got pulled over. And uh, the state trooper approached my window, and he said, uh, "Do you know why I pulled you over?" And I said, "I'd prefer if you tell me." <laughs> and I was polite about it. Yeah. yeah and he says, so. "Well, you were going kind of fast. Do you know how fast you're going?" I said, "I'd prefer I if you, you tell me." Uh, he gave me a warning, by the way, because I was okay. polite to him, yes. but I was—I didn't—I wasn't like, "Hey, I was only going 90." Right. You know? 
It was 94, yeah. not 92 or whatever. Yeah, I had, a, I had a police officer one time ask me, do you know what the speed limit is here? And I was like, um. <laughs> and I said something under what I was going. I mean, over what I was going. I'm like, a 45? And he's like, no, it's 25. And I was like, oh. and he gave me a warning too. Yeah. <laughs> that was I, good. Yeah. Awesome. Okay, so. All right, so um, let's have another sip of wine. All right. And now I'm going to have some other questions. By the way, may I mention this bar has the worst lighting I've ever seen. Isn't it awful? <laughs> you know, it's awful. And now we need to dim it now. They're now like, that we've gotten, you know, halfway through our glass of wine, we need to They're like the wine. fluorescent lights that you want to avoid when you're trying on swimsuits, ladies. Yes. Right? Yes. The ones you think, I'll just take it home and return it because this is, <laughs> this is too painful to actually do to myself. And I also I want to point out. lighting, I do that. <laughs> it's also the same lighting that everybody is taking our picture in. I know. Yes. You know what I mean? So we all yeah. look like. Great. Yeah, look yeah. the mug shots. All right, you come know? on. Filters. Filters and. <laughs> She's directing this question to our son. Sound yes. editor. Sound okay. editor. Yeah. Who took some pictures. Okay. Um, so you've. Um, written best-selling books as well as Hollywood scripts <laughs> and so we were just kind of wondering um, how you approach these are they kind of similar in your approach and um, you know what's your process you know they are kind of similar um, even though uh, I have to kind of push away sitcom like Night Court or you know Cosby or those things that let's put that in another place but uh, for screenplay format and for like a single camera show like Nurse Jackie, um, my, when I structure a story, I use basically the same form I use for structuring a book. Uh, now, I was listening in on your interview with uh, <laughs> T. I call him T. T. Jefferson Parker, for those who don't call him T. Who's a we pantser. Call him Jeff. Yes. He, he's a self-admitted pantser. Oh, yeah. Uh, that's why I cinched my belt up a little tighter when I walked in, because <laughs> uh, I didn't want to get pants. He's um, in the room. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Gird your loins. But um, I'm, 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 a, I'm an outliner. I'm a structural okay. person. Um, it works in, because you're working under very uh, rigid time constraints in television, and you have to have a structure that, that follows it. You don't have, the room, the you don't have room to roam. And, yeah. You don't have room to roam. And what I found is applying that to the books uh, works as well, you know, and, and I, for the Castle books, because they wanted the first book to go online in a countdown of 10 chapters to the premiere of the show in the fall, mm -hmm. um, I declared that will be the halfway point of the book. So I decided, okay, I'm going to write a 20 chapter book. Wow, the midpoint of the book is going to be end of, end of chapter 10. Which means I got to have a kind of a big cliffhanger because that's what's going to be the kaboom to get me to the other half of the book. So I tend to structure things in kind of a line with a middle point and escalate my stuff and have a big thing happen in the middle and then complicate it further. I, I kind of know a, I know the sine wave of, right. of, of what's supposed to happen. Okay. I don't know I don't like to do a formula, mm -hmm. but I do know that I want to operate from a structure. And even though I change things greatly as I'm writing, because a, a, a book and an outline are different, mm -hmm. the, um, the structure underneath you really carries you, especially, I believe, personally, in a mystery. Mm -hmm. I, I want to know who done it. Right. I want to know how done it, too. Mm -hmm. um, and I say, as I say, that doesn't mean I don't change things. Mm -hmm. I have, uh, in, even in some of the Castle books, uh, I had such good red herrings at one point I decided I wonder which one really did it so, so actually I changed the killer in one of the books oh, really? yeah I don't remember which one at this oh, off the top fun. of my head 
But, you know, if you build your red herrings well enough <laughs> for the audience or the, or the reader to think, I wonder who did it. I was also wondering who did it. And, wow. and, and it really made sense when I changed it that this so other that, person that would have been better. That is a little bit of a pantser there. Yeah. So I'm sort <laughs> of a... Uh, you some yeah, I'm a structural pantser. <laughs> yeah, there you go. So construction yeah. workers beware. <laughs> that changes my outlook on red herrings entirely. Yeah. That, that they should be that... Viable, well, right? yeah, I, I think that's a, the most important part of a mystery for me mm-hmm. is you want to challenge the reader um, in a puzzle. Who did it? Mm-hmm. And you want to also not give away or have it be apparent who did it mm-hmm. or done it, as they used to say. Mm-hmm. And um, I think if you do the job properly, any red herring you put out there should be the right person until they're proved not to be. Mm-hmm. And so if you withhold who it is, you can surprise the audience and sometimes yourself right. when you say, I think it's that person instead. <laughs> and it all does make sense in hindsight. Right. I think the, the idea is to um, give the audience a fair chance to guess who it is. Don't bring in somebody at the last minute or, right. or change somebody's attitude or what have you. I know, because I love like going along and when people are like, oh, I think that person did it. I right. mean, you know, the same with, in, in oh, my yeah. mystery book, I was like the first reader, I said, write down each time you think you know who did it. And in, there was like this one, yeah. no, this one. No. In Buzzkiller, um, everybody who has read it says that they thought it was going to be one person and it ended up being the last person they expected, oh. and I love that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so. Oh, yeah. Speaking of Buzzkiller, <laughs> speaking of Buzzkiller, okay, I'm really loving it. Oh, thank you, thank you. And I mean, why. really, <laughs> yeah, sleep. no, I, la- I'm, I'm a little sleep deprived today, and not because I was up writing like our <laughs> guest Tom does, but I was up reading. I wanted to keep reading, and I knew I had to go to sleep. I mean, I got, I got through half the basketball game, <laughs> but then I was like, okay, I'll fall asleep, then I wake up, and I'm like, okay, I want to read some more. I'm like, Put it down, Christy. You're you know, writers hate hearing this. Yeah. You know? uh, <laughs> this is horrible for your, for your ego, right? Well, that, it is true. I mean, and yeah. it, it, and it, and it, yeah, I, anyway, go on. Um, so, anyway, it is a legal thriller. Mm-hmm, quite. At least so far. Yep. I don't know where things will go. <laughs> um, but uh, where did your inf- inspiration come for that? Um, here's how I came to it. I, I knew I wanted to do a show, or a show, a, uh, a book that had the flavor of the castle books. But I didn't want to, obviously, I, I didn't want to take the castle con- construction. Not only for legal reasons, but I just didn't want to be lazy. I didn't want to just say, okay, now I'm going to just rename everybody. <laughs> so what I wanted to do is create a construct for a justice, criminal justice show, but take them outside the yellow tape. And so that led me to, instead of having uh, Nikki Heat as a precinct cop, what if I created Macy Wilde as a public defender in New York City? Mm. And instead of Rook being this uh, sort of uh, wild child uh, in- investigative journalist, what if the male was the uh, uh, NYPD person, but a defrocked detective in the surveillance division, which would then collide with the morals of the uh, uh, public defender? And, but they're hot for each other in their own way. Uh, so what that drove me to was to research uh, public defenders. And as I mentioned in one of our panels today, I was astonished, uh, having spent days uh, w- with the public defender in New York City and then in Brooklyn, that um, in New York State, there's a, uh, if you are the district attorney, 
you are permitted by law to withhold all discovery from the defense team until trial. I've read that before. Well, she was a prosecutor. I was, and I find that astonishing. It is astonishing. It is. I I was um, prosecuting in in Minnesota, which is much more liberal with their discovery rules. I mean, you have to disclose everything. Right. And it makes sense. I mean, it makes so much sense. But then I moved back to South Dakota. Ah. And it's much more um, conservative as far as rules go. But I moved back, and I was doing public defender work. Ah, and so, so I'd gone from the liberal side of things as a prosecutor where you had disclosed everything. Yeah. And I, so I, it was eye-opening, and I, it was one of the reasons I couldn't stand doing <laughs> criminal law anymore, which I loved. Right. Loved. So, what, so what I have is sort of a David and Goliath situation where she has to, she has a, 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 a defendant who didn't do it, we think, and she can't get the crime scene evidence. She can't get the witness interview. She can't even get in the crime scene. So... Here's this uh, uh, very liberal, uh, high horse person who says, I don't like the New York police surveillance unit, sees this guy who likes her, who was on the surveillance unit, who wants to help her with the case. She's going to work with him because he's going to be the person who's going to do discovery for her uh, because she doesn't have that investigative uh, service. So it ended up being a great relationship, um, not only in terms of servicing the story, but also in the romantic story, too. So I might be up late tonight. (laughs) I don't know. I'm just saying. Okay. All right. Okay. Well, that's awesome. Great stories. Thank you so much. Thank you. I've enjoyed having you here with this uh, sexy Uh, Pinot Grigio. Yes. (laughs) It is the sexy bottle. In the alluring bottle. (laughs) Right. So before we go, okay, we have one final question to appease. He may have heard it. I know. Hmm. Our mysterious foodies out there, and we like to ask all the authors, um, which of your characters would you like to share a meal with, and what would it be? Well, I don't have to think hard about that. That would be Nikki Heed. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a no-brainer. I mean, because she's a strong woman. She's everything uh, to everybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, what would they have? I would go back to the first Castle book, and I would say that they would have dinner on a rooftop. Did I say they? I meant we. <laughs> Is Richard Castle there too? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That you know, it's a menage a trois with two people. Um, and I don't think we'd get to the food. I think we'd have, uh, as in the first book, we would have margaritas without uh, glasses too. We would that use the. That is a good scene. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, let's just let our imaginations run wild. Uh, kids, don't even think about this, and don't look at that bottle of Pinot Grigio either. It's bad but for you. If you need to know without seeing this, it's go so buy sexy. that. It's really go buy that book. It's good. <laughs> Great. Oh. All right. So uh, we'd love to hear from our listeners out there um, who thought what they thought of this. Corks in Conversation with Tom Straw. And um, please let us know on Twitter or Facebook at GOB Writers. And Tom, how do readers reach you? I mean, how do you like to reach out? Uh, I don't like to talk to readers. So okay, I forget. No. Uh, <laughs> Just go buy the books. Yes. Uh, I have a website, okay. and I have an email contact on the website. Uh, it, it's a very easy website. It's my name followed by .com. So All it's right, tomstraw.com. And, and before I go or get kicked off, I really oh. want to say to you what a fun podcast this is. Oh, you know, it's, it's really good. You guys do a great job. Thank you. Yeah, thanks it's fun. Thanks very much. We're having so much fun doing it. I know. You know? Can it's I finish like, my wine? Yeah, absolutely. Right. absolutely. That's the only reason I said it. And you get the- <laughs> <laughs> we, we like to think of ourselves as a, as a sleuth fest success story. Because yes. we met last year at yes. sleuth fest. And- yep. And now we're having fun. Yep. Awesome. Okay, so if you liked listening to this podcast, and we know Tom Straw's a fan, I'm just saying, I'm thrilled with that. 
Uh, please be sure to subscribe to us so you can download our upcoming Corks and Conversations with more published authors, as well as our regular Game of Books episodes where you can get your food, wine, and mystery tips every Friday morning, just in time for the weekend. So this is Christy and Kathy saying thanks for listening. Bye, Bye everybody. everybody.